So I'm reading the first 17 verses from 1 Corinthians 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified." I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, they will not say that you are out of your mind. But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everyone is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and he will be judged by all and that the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church, 
If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at most should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Imagine this. Uh, The service starts and we sing uh, three songs. And then at the end of the third song, the music continues, but there are no more words on the screen. And you notice that other people around you are singing words, some of them speaking words, but they're all different. And you can't quite make them out. It seems they're speaking different languages. And and, and the music continues as if that's what it's designed for it to do. And you don't know what to make of it. What would you think if that happened here at church tonight? How would you feel? What would you do about it? My guess is we'd be a little surprised. We'd be a little thrown by it. We wouldn't be quite sure what to make of it, though we might think it was very impressive. Either someone has choreographed something, they got the memo and you didn't somehow, or God's Spirit is doing something extraordinary. And you might just feel like you were missing out. I think that's the sort of thing that happened in the church at Corinth quite often. Whether they did it with music or not, I have no idea. But the Corinthian church was very gifted and they were very impressed with being very gifted and one of the gifts they were especially impressed with was the gift of speaking in tongues. I think in these three chapters that we're looking at at the moment, chapters 12, 13 and 14, that is really the big issue that he's been driving at. Chapter 12, he sort of laid some groundwork. There's only one sign of the Spirit saying that Jesus is Lord. There are different gifts, but they all come from the one God, and so we are all different members of the one body. Chapter 13, without love, though, we are all nothing. For love is the only thing that remains. And so what would love think about speaking in tongues and about what the Corinthians are doing? Tonight, as we look at chapter 14, I want us to see what would love think about this? And as a result, what would love do? WWLT... W-W-L-D. Have a look, chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries 
with his spirit. You see here he's talking about a gift, uh, an activity of speaking in a tongue. Now let's be honest, everyone speaks with a tongue. There's no other way to do it. But we know what a tongue means, don't we? You've got a mother tongue. It's probably English. It's a language. And here it seems they were speaking in a tongue, which is a speaking to God, not to men, in a language, in a tongue, that the person doesn't understand and the people around them don't understand. They utter mysteries with their spirit. We're sort of familiar with this speaking in tongues, more so in Acts chapter 2, where the followers of Jesus, now that he's gone up to heaven and the spirit comes, they speak in other languages, languages that they don't know. But the people around them do. They're not speaking to God. They're speaking to the people. And the people, after a speech, become Christians. But in Corinth, they were speaking to God and no one else understood them. There's another gift that's talking about, it talked about here. Do you see it in verse 1? The gift of prophecy. You hear about prophecy in the Old Testament. It's speaking a message from God. But it seems in Corinth a whole lot of people had this gift of prophecy, of speaking a message that had some, some weight but not absolute authority. It was understood by the speaker and by the hearer. Do you see that in verse, th uh, verse 3? Everyone who prophesies speaks to people, to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Now, which one does he like better? Tongues or prophecy? Well, he makes that very clear, doesn't he, in verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Even stronger in verse 5, I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, because it's a gift from God, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Why is the gift of prophecy greater? Why does he prefer that one? Because it speaks not to God, but to people, and it builds up people. Do you see that verse 3? He speaks to, they speak to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. What would love think about speaking in tongues? Simply, prophecy is better. Now there's something striking here about church, I reckon. You can tell by what he prefers in church, prophecy and not tongues, what he thinks church is for, rather who he thinks church is for. We think church is especially about God and for God. Some people even say, I set aside an hour or so each week for God. But is church for God? Is that what love would think? No. Church is not for God, you see, because tongues is speaking to God, but he'd rather have people speaking to people. Church is not for God, it's for us. This is not a worship service. This is more like a building site. We come together to build one another. If you don't like a building site, maybe you like the gym. It's for bodybuilding. Church is for people, not to entertain them, 
not to help us feel good, but to build us as Christians, that we might mature. And that's why prophecy is better than tongues. There's a second reason that prophecy is better than tongues. It's very simple. It's understandable. Have a look at verse 7. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune's being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Even with musical instruments, if there's not a clear sound, it's worthless. I mean, have a listen to this. It's awful. It's worthless. And just with human speaking for a moment... Uh, our church spent 27 years supporting Jan Russell to get the Bible, the New Testament, translated into the Moba language so that the New Testament would be produced. Imagine what it would be like to have a Moba speaker come and read out the New Testament for us instead of a sermon, 30 minutes, listening to the Moba New Testament. Would that be useful to us? Would that be interesting? It's sort of exciting, isn't it? But after a minute, you'd be bored stiff and it would be a complete waste of time. Only things that are understandable build the church. Someone was telling me this week that they went to a church service where at the end of two or three songs, they went into a time of music and speaking in tongues. It was beautiful, he said. I'm sure it was. But it was a complete waste of time, Paul would think. Have a look at verse 6. What good is it? The most beautiful church service that I've ever been to was in Westminster Abbey. Have you heard of it? That's where the prince and princesses get married. It's very beautiful. And as we sat down and gazed up at the ceiling, your chances of actually listening to anything are pretty slim because the, the building is so magnificent. And we got ready for the service. Uh, my children opened up the order of service. And there at the bottom of the page, in a footnote, it said... Some of the songs will be sung in other languages. And my children asked a very intelligent question. Why? What a silly thing to do. The singing was beautiful. You, you picture those young boys pre-voice breaking in their robes in Westminster Abbey. It was glorious. But the tourists who had come and could have heard the gospel, it was worthless for them because only understandable things build the church. It's the same with rituals that you don't understand, isn't it? It's the same with having music in the church service without words. What good is it, Paul would say? Put it positively for a moment. This means we should have normal language in church that we should understand. This means we should explain things if they need explaining. 
This means the leader, the, the preacher, the person doing the prayers, the songs that we sing should all be in normal language because if we can't understand things, it does not build the church and church is for us. Prophecy is better than tongues because it speaks to people and builds the church by being understandable. Now, I think at that point, Paul could have wrapped up the chapter. I hope if he was talking to you, you would be convinced and go, okay, next chapter, Paul. But the Corinthians were very keen on speaking in tongues. So he brings forth another argument, not so much theories or ideas now, but in practice, let me show you, says Paul, how... Prophecy is better for building believers and unbelievers. Believers first, verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Do you see here, speaking in tongues is a gift. It's good. It's of some benefit to the speaker. Verse 4, the speaker is edified somehow. But even for the person doing it, it's limited because their mind is unfruitful. Their mind is doing nothing. They don't understand what they're saying. And so how can it help them to mature? It can't. Even more so for the Christians around them. Verse 16. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say, Amen to your thanksgiving? since he does not know what you are saying. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. How encouraging is it when we pray together and we listen to what the leader is praying, not for us or on our behalf, but they're leading us in prayer and we're coming with them. We agree with what they're saying and we give a hearty amen at the end, for we've prayed together. What happens when the person speaking says not a word you can understand? Is it any encouragement to you? No, you are baffled by it. And you'd be a complete fool to say amen at the end. Amen means I agree. And who knows whether you agree? Speaking in tongues doesn't build believers. What about unbelievers? Come down to verse 23. If the whole church comes together and everyone, everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? What do you think? Non-Christians come in and we're all speaking in tongues. Will they think, wow, that's amazing. I wish I had that gift. How do I get it? No. They'll think you're all off your rocker. What are you doing? Won't build them at all. Prophecy, on the other hand, verse 24, if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everyone is prophesying, speaking words that they can understand about Jesus, they'll be convinced by all that they're a sinner, will be judged by all, and the secrets of their heart will be laid bare. They will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Notice here that church is for believers, but unbelievers are very welcome. We want them to come. 
Any week is a good week to invite an unbeliever to church, to hear God's word and see how Christians relate to each other. Next Sunday, especially one where we're designing things and Tim will be explaining things as clearly as he can. What will help them when they come? Mystery, impressive music, speaking in tongues? No. Words they can understand. Prophecy is better than speaking in tongues. The Corinthians were very gifted and they were very impressed with their gifts, especially speaking in tongues. And let's be frank, there are many churches today that are very gifted, have the sort of gifts that we don't have in our church and they may be very impressed with their gifts. I don't know. How do we feel about that? Are we intrigued? Do we worry about our own church, that it's not miraculous enough or supernatural enough or impressive enough? How do you feel personally if you don't have this gift of speaking in tongues? Are you a little envious of others? Well, Paul says to this very impressive, gifted church who loved speaking in tongues, verse 20, brothers... Stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. When I was about 20, I was quite impressed by churches that were into these sort of gifts and I was quite troubled that these more conservative churches weren't really into them. And I raised this with the person who was discipling me and I said, I really can't work it out. And he said something very simple but very profound. When you read the book of Corinth, it is full of gifts. And he says a lot about gifts. But the simple issue is, do you think Corinth was a good church or a bad church? Does Paul think they're doing really well? Or does he think they've got some problems? And I think the answer is pretty simple, isn't it? He says to them, stop thinking like children. In your thinking, be adults. What would love think about gifts and about speaking in tongues in particular? Church is for building the people. And what matters is for intelligible words to be spoken to the people. Tongues is of some benefit in private, but it is worthless in church. And if you think worthless is a little strong, have a look at verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul spoke in tongues and he thanks God for it. But, verse 19, in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. In my son Isaac's last economics lesson, their teacher gave them a gift. What do you give your economics class after two years of learning about the economy and how it works and how important it is and as they prepare for their exams? The answer is simple. Money. Because that's what it's all about. And she gave them lots of money. She gave each student one billion dollars. Wow. 
in one note each. Can you guess which currency this was in? Because that's important, actually. It was from a certain little country in Africa called Zimbabwe. And when I looked up to try and work out what this note was worth, the best figure I could find was that for one Australian dollar, you would need to raise 267 Zimbabwean dollars. That's quite a lot. But that would still make one billion Zimbabwe dollars worth quite a lot in our country. Then I read the small print, which said, about 10 years ago, the government in Zimbabwe suspended the currency. The hyperinflation was so great, the currency was so worthless that the government that was printed it decided it was worthless and everyone should stop using it. Can you see the connection? Zimbabwean dollars are not just a little currency, it is worthless. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. Five intelligible words is not much. But he'd rather do that than 10,000 words in a tongue. So, Corinthians, stop thinking like children. What would love think? And so what would love do? Love knows that tongues is of no benefit to others. And so, though you're to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, verse 1, and tongues is a gift, and it does edify you to some extent, would love want this gift? Would love put it anywhere near the top of its gift wish list for Christmas? No, it'd be at the very bottom, I think, because it doesn't build anyone else. If you have this gift, thank God, as Paul does. But what would love do then? Verse 13 is very clear. Anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. If you can interpret, that's a gift, I take it. If you can interpret what you're saying in speaking in tongues, then you'll be praying not just with your spirit but with your mind. And others will be able to say amen to what you've just prayed and they'll be built up. Pray for that. But if God doesn't give it to you, then be quiet when you're around other Christians. Save it for when you're on your own. What should the church as a whole do, especially the leaders of the church? What would love do? Verse 27, there's rules. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak. One at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Church is for building people. There's no building without understanding, and so tongues doesn't build. And so love sets rules. You've got to arrange beforehand. Will there be someone there who can interpret the tongue? If not, no tongues. Even if there is going to be someone there, love sets limits, three at the most, and love controls it one at a time, so it's not confusing. These rules are simple and clear, I think. 
And if you're ever in this church or you've joined another church and they don't follow these rules, if they do do tongues when they gather together without an interpretation or they have more than one person speaking at a time, then you should be concerned. You should raise it humbly with the leaders of that church. And if they refuse to change what happens, then I think on the basis of verses 36 to 38, you should leave that church, for they refuse to obey the Apostle Paul. It's that important. What about prophecy? What would love do? Well, clearly, love would desire the gift of prophecy, to be able to build the church by speaking words that others can understand. But still, there are rules, verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. If a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophecy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. It's not a free-for-all, even with prophecy. There are rules, limit of three at the most, one at a time, and love weighs what is said. You always do that. I hope you're doing it now when the Bible is taught, but even more so with prophecy. There's something here that is more than just someone teaching the Bible or rather less than someone teaching the Bible. They're speaking a word, it seems to me, that they think will be helpful to others, but it's to be weighed as to whether it's right or not. What would love think? What would love do? But where does all that leave us? As far as I can tell, speaking in tongues is not common in our church. And even if it was, you wouldn't know because you wouldn't be doing it in church. Prophecy, on the other hand, is good. It builds the church, but what is it exactly? Does it have to be spontaneous? No one's prepared it before. It just pops into their head and it seems to be a word from God, so you speak it out. Or can it be prepared when someone's interviewed at church like Anna was a couple of weeks ago? Is that prophecy because it's encouraging, it builds the church? Where would you draw the line as to what is prophecy? Well, that's not really the issue that matters, I reckon. Whether you call something prophecy or not is not important. Can you see there in verse 6 that the issue is not so much prophecy versus tongues as words you can understand that build versus tongues. I've got to bring to you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. I'm not sure how to define any of those, but they are clearly words that people can understand that build people up. So what would love think? What would love do? Verse 12 makes it really clear, I think. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Building the church is what matters, not what gift you've got or how you define the gift. In fact, the two words, in gifts, in verse 12, are not actually there in the original. It says, literally, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts... 
try to excel in building up the church. Which gift you're using is not the point. Building the church is the point. And everyone, regardless of their gifts, is to do that. Do you remember Ephesians 4? We're all to do the work of ministry by speaking the truth in love. Are you excelling in doing that? When I was at Bible college for a few years, I was surrounded by people who talk a lot. I mean, can you imagine? The topic is one we're all interested in, and the people who've gone there, chances are... uh, sort of got the gift of the gab and talk a lot. You might find this hard to believe, but I'm not one of them. If I'm in a group that's big enough and I haven't been given a microphone, I'm more likely to listen and to think and reflect and maybe say something at the end. I was in one of these groups for almost a year, a chaplaincy group they're called, and the leader of the group seemed to have noticed this and he had a quiet word to me one day. He said... I've noticed, Sean, that you tend to keep quiet. You don't say much. But it seems to me that when you do say something, it's worth hearing. So I just want to encourage you to speak up. I found that really encouraging. And since then, I've tried to do that a bit more because my natural inclination is not to speak up. I wonder, are you like that? And maybe you need to push yourself a little, think of something that's useful and helpful to say, and actually say it. On the other hand, you might be a gift of the gab person who says quite a lot, really, and maybe you need to think about what would actually be helpful to build up the other person. It's the content you need to work on, not the amount. Prophecy is better than tongues because it builds the church because it's understandable. But the real issue, the real thing that love would think and love would do is to build the church by speaking the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the gifts that you give your church. We thank you for the gifts, the many gifts that you gave the Corinthian church. But Father, we want to think like love. We want to know what would love think and what would love do. So, Father, save us from being impressed by gifts that seem impressive or wanting to seem impressive ourselves. Help us to be patient and kind, eager to build the church by speaking the truth in love. Father, help us each to do that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.